Welcome into Two for One Drafts, the morning edition of Two for One Drafts. We're recording these at 7 a.m. now, and I kind of like it, Mike. I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I'm, uh, I am a very much a morning person. Like, I wake Same. up, and I love doing all my work, like, before noon. And then I tail off in the afternoon and then whatever at night. But I, everyone I, tails I, off, though. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to stay like act like if you're grinding early in the morning and then like three, four o'clock, like to be as efficient as you were in the morning. Maybe you're still working, but to be as efficient would be just no way. There's just no way. I, I really do like uh, getting things done in the morning. Today, we got the quarterback class overview. We're doing position overviews one per week through you know the remainder of the offseason. Really, we're looking at the quarterbacks today in the 2021 NFL draft class. And we also interviewed current PFF analyst and former Raiders great Bruce Gradkowski. He's uh, he's awesome. He he is the guy that watches every single throw at the NFL and NCAA level to confirm our grading process and to confirm these things. Like he helps a lot with, you know, quarterback decision making and all this different stuff, understanding why quarterbacks went to a certain side of the field and all that different stuff while also grading the accuracy of the throw. Etc. So he was a great guest, and he had some some strong takes on the rookie class. You know, Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm. I thought what he said about Jake Fromm was really interesting. You know, how much Jake Fromm can learn from Josh Allen while also kind of coaching up Josh Allen to run the offense and execute maybe a bit more efficiently. I thought Bruce was a great guest. We'll get to him at the end of the podcast. For now, it's quarterbacks, baby. Let's start with the guy, Sunshine. The, the freaking this guy has had zero adversity. I talked about this with Bruce, but like he was the number one overall recruit. He didn't. He only lost one game all of high school. He's only lost one game in all of college football. And obviously, he's you know, he probably does well off the field. We've talked about that as well. Like this guy has had zero adversity. This past year, though, he enters the year, the 2019 season, and comes off a little flat. Some bad decision making, some inaccurate throws, but then really thrives towards the back end of the season. What do you make of what was really? a tale of two seasons for Trevor Lawrence, the beginning of the season where it was a bit rocky, maybe too, maybe overconfident with what he can do. And then the back end of the season where he really got back on the saddle. Yeah. So I, I push back against the zero adversity sort of thing with Trevor Lawrence. Really? You're okay, trying to push. Okay. I, I think that being as hyped as he is being, uh, you know, the guy who is one of the top recruits of all time, you know, top quarterback recruits of all time comes in as a true freshman like anytime you're starting as a true freshman that is like adversity in and of itself you're coming to a completely different level of football and taking over from a guy who was just Kelly Bryant who just had them in the playoffs the year before like Kelly Bryant was no slouch of a college quarterback himself and he replaces him out the gate as a freshman and then to have as much hype as he did coming into this year I was like oh he's in on one pick surefire I still say that I still firmly believe that there's no way that Justin Fields can light it up next year. And it will not usurp Trevor Lawrence's number one overall pick next year, just because that's how good Trevor Lawrence is. And that's how good he's been over the course of his college career. So I do think that in and of itself, the hype train is adversity or does put pressure at least that might not be necessarily adversity, but that's pressure. That is a similar of a similar vein. And I think when he, you know, comes out and shits the bet against Georgia tech in week one, and then, Syracuse a couple weeks later doesn't look like Trevor Lawrence, the guy we thought we was and everyone saying, Oh, who, what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence? What's going on? What's going on? I think that was sort of his wake up call. That was him being like, Oh, I need to turn things around. Then a North Carolina game, uh, you know, only winning by two after that, the dude lit, you know, teams on fire. Like he was dominant down the stretch. He was this guy we thought he was. So I, I do think that, the, the early issues for him was some of just him thinking he could do whatever he wanted, that he was, you know, 
infallible, so so to speak. Like he was, he was trusting himself a little too much, staring down his receivers, uh, not giving up on plays outside the pocket. That's still to me one of his biggest weaknesses is that he gets outside the pocket and he will not throw the ball away. Only had something like a dozen throwaways all last year. Like he just was, will not give up on plays. Thinks he can make every single throw kind of like Tiger Woods thinks he can make every single shot. Uh, that doesn't fly in the NFL. So, uh, I think that's probably his biggest thing he needs to change in 2020 in my eyes. But like I said, there's not much he can do at this point to remove himself from the number one overall pick. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, overconfidence, like you see the overconfidence in his decision-making and in, in where he's putting the football, not giving up on plays, but, and I can get on board with you saying, you know, a ton of hype can apply pressure similar to adversity. However, I don't think he felt that a ton because expectations were low for a true freshman as great as he was going against Alabama, going to the college football playoff. People did not expect him to do something that literally no one has ever done. You know what I mean? But entering year two, obviously the hype was absurd. Entering year two, you know, starting at Clemson, the hype was absurd and that overconfidence kind of shown out. And then also against LSU late in the season. I think there has been enough hype to where that's applied pressure on Trevor Lawrence. No adversity, whatever it may be. Um, but with let's ju- let's jump to Justin Fields. With Trevor Lawrence, we've already talked about it a ton. I'm glad you brought up a weakness because everything everyone else yeah. brings up is usually a strength. Arm talent, accuracy, looks the part, big, athletic. Can we talk about his athleticism before we jump to Justin Fields? Yes. This guy's like a Please. legit this guy is a legit athlete, like not sneaky athletic, none of that. Like this guy is a legit athlete, can like run with the football. He might I said I think he runs like a four six flat at the combine. Oh he man. might sneak into the four fives. The dude you saw him running away from Ohio State linebackers, like yes. separating down the football field. I think Malik Harrison, he was running away from in that game. And and the fact that they could just completely sort of scrap their offense for that. Ohio State game is because they knew that one, their wide receivers weren't winning on the outside. The offense is predicated a lot of ISO routes on the outside with guys like Justin Ross and T Higgins being able to win. They knew they weren't going to winning that matchup, especially after T Higgins got hurt. And they knew they weren't going to be able to block chase young long enough to, uh, you know, give Trevor Lawrence time then after that to get to, you know, second, third read. So they kind of like scrapped their offense and did this hybrid, a lot of screens, a lot of quarterback run game. And all of a sudden, like Trevor Lawrence fucking galloping down the football field, <laughs> running away from guys. It, it, he broke more tackles last year than Justin Fields. Like everyone's going to talk about Justin Fields' athleticism. Trevor Lawrence broke more tackles last year as a runner. This guy can actually get the job done in that regard. Not that I really right. want to be subjective no. hits, but he can. Yeah, I mean, but there is there is value in being able to extend the play. And you look yes. at quarterbacks this past year who hold the ball the longest, have the highest average time to throw. Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen. It's not always indicative of success, but it is indicative of athleticism. You know, you can extend the play. You can scramble outside the pocket. The correlation between scrambles, scramble rates, and average time to throw is very, very high. If you have that athleticism to extend the play, you're going to be able to hold the ball longer and push the ball downfield. Sometimes that leads to failure. Like Deshaun Watson will hold the ball a little bit too long and not be able to successfully extend the play. But there is value in that, as we saw with the MVP of the league this past year and Lamar Jackson. All right, jumping to Justin Fields. I watched a lot of his throws, uh, a lot of his you know throws down the football field, 10-plus yards down the football field. This guy's got some zip. Like I, I think the arm talent, maybe not on the same level as Trevor Lawrence, but still, like, it's not like a guy who's just really accurate with the football. I think he can put it wherever he wants it, really. Yeah, he has a big arm, and honestly, he might be more accurate than Trevor Lawrence. I, I think he, just if you the go throw for throw, that. 
if you go throw for throw, I think he's more accurate. But now in terms of just like decision-making, that sort of thing, that's where Lawrence is on another level and just like beating the blitz and getting the ball out of his hands quickly where it needs to go. That's where Lawrence has the sort of differentiates himself from really any quarterback uh, see at the college level. Uh, that's only a sophomore. So uh, that's the biggest thing. But Justin Fields, man, like in terms of just pure arm talent and like accuracy, he's elite. Like this guy is the best combination of that uh, we've seen in probably quite some time here w- with what he can do with his arm. From a clean pocket on throws of 10 plus air yards, he ranked 10th in all of the FBS in uh, percentage of throws that were uncatchable, inaccurate throws. Up there with Joe Burrow, Keaton Slovis, you know, um, D. Crum, Dustin Crum of Kent State, some of these, Tua Tungavailoa up there in the top 10, Brock Purdy. Like, he does not throw inaccurate passes at a high rate down the football field, and he does it even in the perfect situations without pressure. He's also got one of the highest grades without, you know, without uh, being pressured. So you look at grades under pressure. It's Joe Burrow at 95.0 and then Justin Fields at 94.1, right up there with the number one overall pick, the consensus number one overall pick. He graded at a really high level, but and you, you said this before the podcast, but I want to bring it up again. Justin Fields grading at this level in this system with the talent he has and then knowing how Dwayne Haskins did not perform at this level. Yeah. Does that speak to maybe how poorly Dwayne Haskins performed or just how good Justin Fields is? I think somewhat both. Like <laughs> it's somewhat it, it is damning to me to Dwayne Haskins to a little bit. And just the other thing is where they attacked on the football field. Mostly Justin Fields had an average depth of target 12.6 yards down the football field. Like he was this offense when Dwayne Haskins was running, it felt like a really lateral. Uh, he actually led the nation in terms of yards on crossing routes. Justin Fields was not close to that. Like he was targeting those underneath routes. He was not pushing the ball on like the verticals, the goes posts, that sort of thing. He wasn't pushing the ball down the football field. Same offense. Justin Fields is taking those chances. Justin Fields is attacking down the football field more grading out a lot better because of that and being far more productive in the offense. So that's, that's sort of, if, if I'm a Washington Redskins fan, the scary thing to me is that a lot of that falls on the quarterback. When you got two guys in the same offense, the routes they like to throw where they're willing to take risks. And Dwayne Haskins with guys like Terry McLaurin, who we've seen are pretty damn good at getting open down the football field, was not yeah. willing to take those risks. So that that would scare me a, a bit if I'm a Redskins fan and also be a positive for fields. You want the guy that's going to take those chances and still protect the ball. And that's what Justin Fields did. I mean, if you look at uh, clean pocket throws past the sticks, highest grade in college football this past year, Joe Burrow. Second highest, again, Justin Fields, this guy who's pushing the ball downfield in an ideal situation from a clean pocket, which you know has more stability than under pressure, and doing it at a very, very high level. Building off that, building off that and being one of the highest grade quarterbacks in 2020, I know you said there's nothing that could unseat Trevor Lawrence, but is it as easy as <laughs> – is it as easy as one, two, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields? Like, do you feel like you're confident in those two being the first quarterbacks off the board? Those first, those guys being the first two picks off the board. Yes. Honestly, from having watched these guys a little more extensively, the, the, this, this quarterback class is incredible. Like those guys are one, two, the most lock one, two since probably Mariota Winston. And then even probably it's probably closer to luck Griffin in terms of just like talent at the top where you're just like these guys, they could do They can't miss to some degree. And Robert Griffin, whatever the injury uh, you could say he missed in the end, but like he was very well worth the number two overall pick with what he brought to the table. I, I think this is a class very similar to that. And the crazy thing is 
there are two more guys on this list that I would put in the first round, even right now with what they brought. Oh, wow. Talk about here. Well, let's get to those guys then. Trey yeah. Lance, the North, North Dakota state kid. Talk about arm talent. This guy is can zip. He's got, he's got a weird frame, a little bit thinner frame, but he's got some fire in that arm. Yeah. He's already, and he's already put on like 20 pounds, I think in college, oh, he's already wow. like bulked up considerably in that red shirt year, but he has canner for an arm. And he is probably even of those top three guys. I think he's, uh, it's tough to say he's the most athletic, but like he, and it's difficult to gauge because he's going up against far less competition, but he, he basically knew when he dropped back to pass, he's like, you know, if it's not completely wide open, I could pick up like 10 yards on the ground with my legs, like anytime I want to, like, that's how good he was at escaping really no fear in terms of like getting hit and and, you know, taking sacks because he knew we could get out of tackles. Like he did it all the time there on tape. And so that was almost a gift and a curse because you see him kind of unwilling to throw into tight windows a lot and holding the ball, some Aaron Rodgers esqueness to his game in that regard. And that's also why he only had four turnover worthy plays all year long is because he just wasn't, he wasn't taking bad chances with the football if, if nothing was there. And he was then running with his legs. So I, I w- would like to see more of that, make more chances, more throwing with anticipation in 2020. But in terms of just like his physical tools, I mean, he's got like top five physical tools. And I, I, I don't think I get, I'm not sure I'd take him top five right now, just because we've talked about how protected he was in that offense, you know, 10 dropbacks in some games only <laughs> and like averaged 18 a game for the whole season, 18 dropbacks a game, which is just absurd. So need to see a little bit more open need to see the offense open up a little bit more. Uh, it takes more chances with his arm, but just in terms of what he brings to the table talent wise, like he's up there with fields and Lawrence. What does he, so you speak to get more specific with that. You know, he's got to open it up a little bit more. They have to open it up for him, not protect him as much to kind of help his evaluation. What does he need to do? You know, opposite, you know, even beyond. I'm not what, sure there's anything he can't. Like, that's the thing. Really? It's not really on him. It's just like they're running a gap power. 30 times a game like that, that is North Dakota state. That's what they do. That's been their bread and butter. Reminds me. I don't know Even if you've ever read, Wentz, you know, that was what <laughs> I they don't did. know. If, I don't know if you've ever read the the book on Brett Favre. I think it's called like the gunslinger or whatever. It talks about his dad being the coach of high school team and Brett Favre's got this cannon and he's yeah. like, no, we're running the ball. We're running wing T we're running wing T we're throwing four games or four times a game. When you have this monster under center that can like make any throw on the football field, you're like, dude, whatever the 38 power, whatever the hell you just said. I think that's the move, man. I, I can't believe you're going to not waste. It's not wasting a talent. If you're still winning at a high level at North Dakota state, but still Trey Lance, I want to see him open it up as well. This is a guy though. Does he, is he entering his senior year? He's the red shirt sophomore only. So, Oh that's man. Why. So don't even get an opportunity to senior bowl really, unless he graduates. I don't know where he is with that. That would be very interesting to see him at the senior bowl. Yes. I, w- I wonder if he will be graduated because they could use, I mean, obviously he, he, that would be a big thing for a stock. Like it was for Carson Wentz to go there. Yeah. That was massive for him. When you play at that level of competition, it is big. So maybe he's trying to get some, credits. even though you always some say too, that you, can't, you can't like glean a ton of information from the senior bowl at quarterback position. But when you are coming from a small school, there is some benefits to that, you know, yeah. playing the senior bowl for sure. All right, let's jump to Brock Purdy, Iowa state. Where are you at with him? There, there are people all over the map with Brock Purdy. Some people don't like him at all. He grades really well for PFF. He's graded really well over the past two years, really. So, yeah, this is the guy who I – the fourth guy who I'd say I'd put him in the first round. Right? I, I truly believe he there's something to his game. Now, he doesn't grade out exceptionally. 81.8 passing grade this past year. 
88.0 as a freshman. And that was in like half a season as a freshman. But to me, there's just like something to him. He's got that it factor, that mm. gunslingeriness to him that wow. I think is going to translate. I, I think like he's just has some winner y traits to him. And I'm, I'm sounding so like, dude, you sound old school awesome, scout. Man. I know it's so bad, but like there is something to it. And his, his stylistically, he's very similar to Johnny Mansell. And, and that's, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a great thing, like to be a, a, kind of a scrambler, but I mean, it's kind of like Tony Romo-esque too. That's like what Romo was, uh, but I think he's a little more athletic than even that. Really tough, throws, makes throws under pressure a lot, throws with anticipation a lot. And the thing I love about his game is that he will manipulate linebackers, cornerbacks over the middle of the field with his eyes and with his like head and shoulders a lot, like a lot more than anyone outside of that top tier of quarterbacks. He does it the most in terms of because he has to like he has when when they play when teams play man coverage against Iowa State and he has guys one on one across the board. They are not winning. He has to you know do something to be able to get guys open in that offense. And he does a great job of it. Like he guys shouldn't. And I said this on the last but like you shouldn't be putting up the numbers he does at Iowa State. Like they don't have talent. It's not a talented school in terms of what they're bringing to the table. There's only one guy in that offense besides him that might get a sniff from the NFL. And it's the tight end. It's like the least, the last person you necessarily want. I think Charlie Kohler, last person you necessarily want being like your go-to guy in a college offense. So uh, I'm a big fan of his game. Like there's even in his worst games, even if you go watch Baylor, you'll see like high level quarterbacking plays again and again. So to me, I'd put him in the first round sort of conversation right now. And overall hasn't graded really well, but when you look at the situation, not when he's from a clean pocket or the top 15 grade this past year, a top 15 PFF passing grade from a clean pocket. When you look at clean pocket pass the sticks ranked inside the top 25, and then also on the, the, the uncatchable inaccurate passes from a clean pocket, 10 plus yards down the football field, he ranked fifth this past year, right behind yeah. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, 23.7%, Brock Purdy, 24.3%. So there are there are some numbers that do support that he has some success in ideal situations. Under pressure, don't see him inside the top 50 even mm-hmm. in how he performed here. But, I mean, it's looking at clean pocket situations, stuff that really is stable, that translates from college to pro. There are some impressive numbers with Brock Purdy. All right, let's jump to the next guy here. That You're calling that guy a first-rounder right now. You're getting excited. The winneriness. Uh, yes. <laughs> the winneriness is what's taking him to the next level. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does this next season because, uh, like I said, he kind of took a step back from a grading perspective, but I think, like, all the talent's there for him. And I, I just – it's difficult to sort of quantify exactly why, like, the winneriness that I love about him. But I think there is something to just, like, this was a bad situation, like, bad offensive line bad receivers he still played a ton of winning football like he still like gave them yeah. shots in a lot of different games elevated the supporting yes. cast and exactly. when you and i talk about this a lot too at the nfl level when you have a quarterback that can elevate his supporting cast you you put him in a different tier and guys that need a good supporting yes. cast to put it put up good numbers and win football games All and, right. and he's accurate has a quick release and like as good good size in terms of like six one two ten. he's not tall but like he's solidly built and could take a hit that sort of thing what's his off field like if we are making the manzel comps we need to we're gonna Ooh. need to dive in <laughs> we're gonna need to make sure we're all good we'll, uh, we check all the boxes on that front anyway jumping to jamie newman the wake forest 
Georgia transfer. He's a guy that graded really well throwing down the football this past year. We we watched a lot of his throws last year, thinking there was a chance he could come out for the 2020 NFL draft. These vertical lead throws down the field to Sage Surratt this past year were great. Where else does he have success? Well, he's really dynamic in the run game, too. This guy, I mean, is like in the added running back. Like He is very good in that regard. You can use him any way, shape, or form you really want to. And that's a big value add at the NFL level. We've talked about that a lot. Like if you can get that guy to open up the entire playbook, it'll it'll make his life easier too. Like it gives you easier looks as a quarterback as well. They used a lot of RPOs in that offense. Like they used that as well in that Wake Forest offense last year. Uh, and his biggest strength is his ball placement down the football field. Like his ability to recognize one-on-one opportunities and he had two guys in Scotty Washington last year and Sage Surratt, big dudes who could go up and get it. Uh, and he gave them a lot of good opportunities. Like he gave them good chances to make plays. And that's why his grade also went in the tank when he didn't have Sage Surratt last year. Like he did not, like in the Clemson game, a couple of the games at the end of the year, he just was not the same guy. It's because he didn't have guys who were able to make those plays, those big plays that he relied on, that he's good at like getting to those guys. He didn't have. And so that's why, honestly, he reminds me of a more athletic Jimmy Clausen, which is not, which is honestly not great when I'm saying it. But like, you go back to Jimmy Clausen's career, he was just throwing kind of these, I don't want to say Hail Marys, but he's just a lot of, you know, jump balls, a lot of vertical throws, two guys at Golden Tate, Michael Floyd in that Notre Dame offense back in the day. And it looks good. And his ball placement on those is great, but you got to have a, you got to have more than that. You can't just hit vertical throws at a high level in the NFL. Like those straight goes and posts, that sort of thing. You can't just be good at those. You got to have more than that. And I'm not sure we've seen that yet from Newman. The good thing is, though, Georgia's offense is going to ask him to do a lot more than that. Like Georgia's offense attacks a lot of dig routes, a lot of intermediate over the middle of the field, which he was not attacking there at Wake Forest. There you go. Better situation to see if you can evaluate that talent. All right. KJ Costello, another transfer going from Stanford to Mississippi State. Mike Leach's. Mississippi State. We were talking to Bruce about this too. Do you think he's going to kind of take the next step with with, uh, Mike Leach? Could he have success in that system? So it's interesting because system-wise, so different. Like it'll be very different from what he did at Stanford. Oh, 100%. Stanford's like, even even when it's just like pure passing concepts, they were oftentimes, it was ISO sort of concepts, like which guys has the most favorable one-on-one matchup. Like a lot of isolation routes in that Stanford offense. And that's why it looked great when he had JJ Arthega Whiteside who could win those and, and who was really good at that. And it looked pretty much like ass last year when he didn't have guys who could win a lot and was just pressing and forcing the ball into a lot of bad situations. But Mike Leach's offense is far more predicated on attacking space and attacking like multiple, knowing how a couple routes go together, two or three routes go together and where you know the defender is between those and then attacking from there. So it's going to be very different. And I'm curious to see, like this could be very good for his draft stock because that's something he needs to prove is that he you know, can read which is my most favorable situation here uh, and attack that and go to that guy. Something he was just bad at doing at Stanford was seeing, you know, figuring out his best course of action, like, and would just throw into so many contested situations that were just not good. So uh, I think it could be really good for his draft stock. I'm not going to like make a massive prediction that he's going to go there and be lights out. I I don't think he will. I just think that he still kind of is who he is, but if he proves me wrong, I mean, this guy 
he has the talent to be a, you know, day one, day two sort of pick. Well, with KJ Costello and you compare him to Anthony Gordon and, you know, uh, Gardner Minshew, is this not easily the best arm talent Leach has had under center in a long time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. From that perspective, yes. I mean, he has. I mean, I, I'm interested to see that. Looks, you know, I'm interested to see what, what that looks like. Like, what does that look like in Mike Leach's team? What we've seen over the past, you know, three or four years is guys with noodles operating it with that winneriness you speak to, you know, that, that very accurate. You know, let's not, let's not, let's not only call it moxie and winneriness yeah. here. Let's call it accurate, you know, Chase, uh, I mean, Gardner Minshew and, um, Anthony Gordon were both very accurate with the football, made good decisions, read the football. I mean, made quick decisions. I think if you can get that same decision making, that same quickness and accuracy, from uh, Costello while also having the arm talent to hit, you know, hit the harder throws. I, I mean, it could be an impressive time. year. Yeah, could be more a very impressive year for Costello. All right, jump into one of my guys. I, I really like Tanner Morgan. I went back and watched a lot of Rashad Bateman recently and also, you know, watching Tyler Johnson. You see what Tanner Morgan can do. And he also earned very, very high grades uh, over the course of his career, specifically from a clean pocket. Top 25 grades from a clean pocket. He ranked third in uncatchable, inaccurate percentage, throwing downfield from a clean pocket right behind uh, Keaton Slovis at their number two. I mean, accurate down the football field, good from a clean pocket. I think Tanner Morgan. Morgan's getting slept on a little bit, right? I didn't love him. Now, I, okay. I don't think he's so I, I'd put him sort of like round three, round four at the moment. I, I, I don't know if that's getting slept on or whatnot, but the biggest thing for me <laughs> was just like blitz recognition and, and like he just was bad at, at recognizing when blitzes were coming, when to attack after that, making a quick decision. Uh, Versus blitzes, you know, I had a 59.7 completion percentage when blitz this past year. His grade went from 90.0, not blitz, to 79.1 when blitz, which isn't great. But, like, that was an offense where, I mean, shit, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman got open, like, ad nauseum. Those guys were open. Like, he, it was a favorable sort of system and favorable sort of setting for him to succeed with how much talent he had at the receiver position. So he, his grades should look good. And, and they did. And I, I, like I said, third, fourth round is kind of where I see him. I just don't see one, a lot of high level throws down the football field. Another guy who like his best throws are him leading Rashad Bateman on a go route. Him, like him, got, heaving it up down the football field and guys running underneath it. Like I don't see him putting it in two tight windows over the middle of the field a lot, even though he does throw well with anticipation in that area. You, you see it on tape numerous times where he, will you know throw that dig route before it even gets to the top of the route and, and throw that slant route and the glance route and they do that a bunch in that Minnesota offense. But I just didn't see him like fitting in, in tight windows, really peppering in the middle of the field. And I think to some degree you still have to be able to do that at the NFL level. You can't just rely on you know heaving it up and letting guys run underneath it. Uh but I mean Gardner Mitch has had success with sort of a similar, I guess, arm level that I think Tanner Morgan has. Yeah, I mean, not all downfield throws are created equal. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, with Tanner Moore, it's like, you know, vertical lead throws are a lot different than trying to make tight window throws 15, 20 yards down the football field over the middle. Looking at looking at his grade under pressure this past year, Joe Burrow, obviously the best in that area, 81.6. He ranked third right behind Mason Fine of North Texas, 76.9 grade under pressure. Not that that says much, knowing that it's not super predictive year over year, but What's interesting is you see a lot of quarterbacks that make quick decisions that have that are anticipatory throwers um, 
really thrive against the blitz. Like Drew Brees crushes yeah. against the blitz. Like these guys that know how to make quick decisions. Well, Tanner Morgan playing well under pressure, but not necessarily playing well when he has to make that quick decision against the blitz, I think does speak to an area of improvement for him. His The thing about his under pressure was he's so good at throwing without his feet set. Is He's one of the best in this class in terms of like, he doesn't need to step in and really you know, drive to get the ball where it's going. I noticed it numerous, numerous times. He'll just like, his feet will be, he'll be drifting away from his right tackle, getting rocked and just put the ball exactly where it needs to be. Like he can throw on the move off platform as well as anyone in this draft class. He's very good in that regard. And that's, that's under pressure passing. Like a lot of times it's because it's not, your feet aren't going to be great. You're not going to be stepping into a throw. It's not always you're stepping in the throw and getting rocked. It's oftentimes it's just, you don't have an ideal situation in the pocket. And he was very, very good at that. All right, let's jump to Kyle Trask. I know Steve Palazzolo is starting to flirt with Kyle Trask a little bit, seeing him as one of the, maybe one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. Where are you right now with Trask? Yeah, so there are two guys on this list that I think will be the sort of riser hype guys that I don't see yet, I'll say, in quotation marks yet. This guy, I think I could see him, Kyle Trask, I could actually see myself getting on board with him in the future. The net, the later guy who we'll get to, I don't think I will. I'll just say right now, it's going to be Kellen Mott from Texas A&M. I, I don't think he's, I don't see myself ever really getting on board with what he brings to the table, but Trask, there's something to him. Like he, he has a howitzer of an arm, canna for an arm. He'll throw, you know, 25 plus yards down the football field. And it's not, there's no arc to it. That ball is on the line to that. But at the same time, he's like oddly conservative like his average depth of target was only 8.6 yards down the field. Like he's not, he's the guy with the big arm, but not willing to take those chances down the field. And I always struggle with guys like that because I'm like, if I had a fuck, if I had a cannon for an arm, I'd be slinging it. Like if I, if me just, but I mean, how much of that, out there, I'd be how much of that too it. is like his like background, you know, like he did not have a ton of opportunities in Florida. I don't think you're like, you're not trying to take that's, a ton of risks. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like I can get on board with this guy in the future. If things change, because you did see the sort of, this was his first year as starter. Like that you yeah. did see that I, I wrote down here hesitation on his tape that he didn't didn't look comfortable all the time. Like there's a lot of that on his tape that if that cleans up, you have a ton of talent here. He has a massive arm. He makes some really nice throws down the football field, but you could just kind of see the wheels spinning a little too fast at times. And it said and he doesn't offer much outside the pocket. Guy's a statue, 6'5", 230. I think he, not a complete statue. Like, he can move a little bit, but he's not, not a value add in the run game. Not going to be uh, throwing on the move a ton. So the other thing I wrote down here is he toes the line between pocket obliviousness and fearlessness. That's sort of the Daniel Jones line, yeah, as it were, where a guy, you can't really tell. It's like, because he's will stand in there make throws with guys bearing down on him is like, did he actually see that guy or was he just, you know, <laughs> or, or was that just like, he thought he was a completely clean pocket. And you saw him like having a, a few fumbles over the course of the season because of that and take some sacks where it's just like, damn, I don't think he ever saw that guy hit him. So, uh, not that exactly should come with sure. experience. So maybe, but, but yeah. I mean, again, a lot of it is just the small sample size we have. And I think there's you're playing on a short leash too, like knowing that like, Hey, like there are doubters dude. They're like, you're coming yeah. in obviously with the Felipe Franks there, but it's like, I don't know. I think Kyle Trask, some of that risk adverse style of play, that conservative style of play could go away 
when, when Florida kind of fully backs him as the starter. And they say, dude, let's open it up. You know, let's 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 un let's uncork it this year and really push the ball downfield. And if that you see that, I, I agree that you could see a pretty significant rise. All right, I kind of want to bring these two guys together before we jump to Kellen Mond. Shane Bouchel and Sam Ellinger, two former, you know, Shane Buchel, former Texas, Texas t- uh, quarterback. Now, they're both Texas boys now playing for SMU. Looking at how these guys grade, grade really well under pressure, but you don't see a ton of consistency or high-end grading from a clean pocket. And it's the, and I and I feel like they're similar in that regard and that they have some of that innate ability to play the quarterback position. You know, you see some of these plays like under pressure, throwing down the football field, that moxie, that winneriness. But then when you look at it from a consistency standpoint, I, I feel like there are concerns in both of their games. Yeah. So I wrote down here in my notes about Shane Bouchelle that watching him feels like I took an Adderall because <laughs> I, I, it's just like you're moving a hundred miles an hour, every single play, like quarterback should not be moving a hundred miles an hour. You shouldn't feel like it feels like he's like jittery, or I don't know how to necessarily describe it. That's why I said I felt like I took an Adderall. I was just like, was zooming every single play, trying to get the ball off his hands as fast as he could. And there, there's a big gunslingeriness to his game. Like he will not, doesn't bring his feet with him all the time. Like his mechanics are just all over the map and his accuracy suffers because of it. But he also has a really like sick natural arm and can make some dope throws down the football field just from, you know, just because he has that. But man, he needs to get, he needs to reel it in. Like he needs to take it down a notch and just get a little more calmness to his game and a little more, add some roboticness to his game, honestly, because he's usually trying to coach that out of guys and make them more natural. He needs to like tone it down, reel it in and, you know, make sort of like the, do the quarterbacky things play after play after play, instead of just always, you know, schoolyarding it out there. What about so with Ellinger? I mean, I thought he had an opportunity against LSU early in the season to really take a step forward. But I, I mean, he just did. I, I just don't think he rose to the occasion really, and, and then kind of fell flat towards the end of the year as well. Yeah, so he doesn't have a great arm. It's like good enough though, and he actually really improved this past season. The biggest area where he improved was just his ball placement and actually down the football field. He was just much better on throws downfield, much more. Through with much better anticipation, I thought, on those sort of throws was something he needed to make. And that's that's good. Like he's made big improvements over the course of his you know three years at Texas. You went from six six point four grades freshman, eighty-five point seven in two thousand eighteen to ninety point one this past year. So that's a really big upward trajectory. And like I said, he cleaned up a lot of some of the things that I wanted to see cleaned up. But the biggest issue for me is his still his pocket presence. He will one lock on to receivers a lot and just not get past them. And then two, when he does get past them, a lot of times it's panic mode. Like it is, he goes to the top of the pocket, first receiver's not open. Instead of knowing where to go right away with it and looking natural with it, you just see him freeze there. And so he still takes a lot of sacks, ends up scrambling a lot, even though he's not the guy you necessarily want scrambling. Like he's, he's in that tier of athleticism where he thinks he's athletic enough to get out of pockets, but he's really not. And it's not going to happen at the NFL level for sure with him. So it's that sort of pocket presence and getting past this first read. That's the thing that still needs to get better in 2020. Last but not least, Kellen Mond. I mean, I've seen some hype that this is the guy that Jimbo Fisher is going to turn into the, you know, a first round pick, you know, because he has this talent or whatever it may be watching a lot of Courtney Davis last year. And even some of Kellen Mond before the podcast, you don't see, I don't see the innate, 
ability to play the quarterback position as much as I do with some of these other guys. And when you don't see that, and Seth has said this before, when you're just not playing quarterback well, but you do have some of these tools that people like, and, and you know, like some of the, you know, some of the the arm talent that people like, it's easy to fall in love with the wrong guy. And I think maybe maybe people will with Kellen Mond this year. So Jimbo Fisher's offense is great for showcasing quarterbacks. Like it gives you so many chances to attack that intermediate level of the football field, you know, past the linebackers in front of the safeties, a lot of dig routes, a lot of posts, you know, a lot of times, you know, working in that area, which is like we said again and again, that's like the area the NFL works. And that's where you got to be able to attack, to live and play quarterback in the league. And so Kelmont throws there a lot. Didn't throw there accurately a lot, but like he has a lot of throws to that level of the defense. And I think that's why, so I got like Christian Ponder get overdrafted just because of, you know, that offense, why Jameis Winston's the surefire number one overall pick, even though he still only attacks there and like still hasn't improved because of a lot of it, like in that offense is very translatable. But I think that's also when you're not good in that offense, like Helen Mond has been, then that's also like, Oh, then he probably won't be good in the NFL. So he throws well on the move. Like that's his biggest thing. He had one of the coolest throws or one of the best throws of anyone last year, early in the season against Texas state moving to his left, throws it like in a bucket, uh, probably like 35 yards downfield, really nice throw, but it, the consistency is not there. Accuracy all over the place. And to me, just watching his tape, it was like he decided where he wanted to go and then wasn't going to change that no matter what happened. And, and now he's not throwing a lot of turnover where he plays, but he's just throwing into a lot of uh, just covered receivers and, and yeah. would you know, just was not, wouldn't come off guys who were covered and was still just going to force it there. And if you go back and watch the LSU game, to me, like that looked like a quarterback on tilt, seeing ghosts, whatever you want to call it. Like the I like seeing ghosts. Everything sped up for him. Like you could see his feet, his arm, everything was going faster than it was supposed to be. And that's not the opposite of what you want. When when you know, when you're going up against a good defense, when it's, you know, you're behind and having to come back, you don't want to see the guy visibly pressing. You want to see him look like the exact same guy. And so the fact that he was still after being you know, after as much football as he's played at this point, you know, it was two and a half years as a starter. It's concerning. And, and so bringing up watching full games of quarterbacks, I, I think, you know, with other positions, you'll hear, you know, other talent evaluators say, I watched three or four games of this guy with, you know, with us, with, with other positions specifically, I think we look at every single target or every single pass rushing snap or all these different things, like not necessarily limit to single games, but I do think with the quarterback position specifically, it can be very important to watch a full game and see how this develops, you know, because like game situation is very important because momentum and all these different things, like how his head is Mm. and what's, you know, how, how the game is processing for him, I think can add a lot of value when you're evaluating a quarterback. It's not as simple as every single throw, you know? Yeah. Because it's a decision-making based position. Like, and then when it's a decision-making based position, the, the sort of decision is also dictated by the situation. And Mm -hmm. so then situation matters. And then obviously scheme will then matter more because like you, you can, you cannot have options. Like you can not have options in an offense. Like sometimes a throwaway, you know, an incompletion is a good play for a quarterback Mm -hmm. based on what he had. So you have to be able to take all that into account. Uh, I mean, you look at how often, and it was, I was talking to Bruce recently about quick game and, and like how often, you know, the Raiders run quick game. And, you know, you talk about Derek Carr, you know, having a low average of target, not pushing the ball downfield, but there are so many times where like, you know, 
John Gruden will call thirty or forty percent of the you know passing plays in this game. You know, just why stick and and slant flat, you know slant flat like these plays where you can't push the ball downfield. I think it's important to kind of with scheme involved, like scheme is super yeah. important, situation super important. You can't you can't afford to really you know watch the quarterback position differently. You have to watch every throw. You have to look at every single game and the scheme that's being called for him because, like you said, a, a two yard pass could be the best play or an incompletion yeah. could be the best play. Uh, on certain plays when you do pull up like what scheme they're running, the situation, et cetera. It's very interesting. Anyway, well, let's jump to that Bruce Gretkowski interview. We're going to close there. Uh, this sounds like a very good quarterback class. It, that does not feel like there's a drop-off similar yeah. to, you know, Joe Burrow Tua, and then like drop-off Justin Herbert, drop-off Jordan Love. I think Trey Lance could enter the first-round conversation, like you said, Brock Purdy. I mean, there's things to like about Trask, Newman, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Tanner Morgan, maybe if you know, he's really it up a bit. I'm a big fan of this class already. I'll be honest. Should be so. a lot of fun when a college football season happens. I'm not putting <laughs> that evil on you, my friend. When a college football season, I hope it does Thank happen. You. Anyway, let's jump to the Bruce Gradkowski interview. Thanks, guys. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is former Oakland Raiders legend. I, I have to say, Oakland Raiders legend Bruce Gradkowski, also current quarterback analyst pff analyst does great job on the data collection front analysis front for pff bruce gregkowski bruce it is a pleasure and honor to bring you on the pod how you doing man what what an introduction ag thanks man <laughs> I, I don't know if i'm a, a, a raider legend uh but man we had some fun times out there some great stories with al davis man that was he was a trip uh i should have borrowed some of his cologne because you could smell that from a mile away uh, but we had some we had some fun times, so I appreciate being on with you guys. Of course, man. I mean, Ra- I say Raiders legend because when I was a kid with season tickets to my with my dad, I mean, you were the guy. Like you were of of the many quarterbacks we had, the Raiders had. You were one of the guys that was like really, you know, won a couple good games for us. So I'll, I'll side with you there. Uh, I want to start here, though. The reason we're doing this is because we're doing a podcast on the 2021 quarterback class and really giving it an opportunity to look at quarterback evaluation and how PFF goes about it, you know, how the NFL goes about it. I want to start with this, though. What's the biggest learning curve, you know, in your rookie season at the quarterback position? Because I feel like it's going to be even steeper with this abbreviated offseason due to COVID-19. I'd love to hear from you what you felt like the biggest learning curve was as a rookie quarterback. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, with this COVID going on and you're not actually in the facility right now, it's great. We can learn off of Skype, Zoom meetings, however you can, and get to grasp the offense. But, man, there's nothing like getting on the field, interacting with your coaches, the wide receivers, throwing routes, getting that timing, the footwork down. Uh, you know, that's different because the speed of the game is the biggest ch- the biggest change, the biggest difference from college to the NFL. These quarterbacks are used to sitting in the pocket and having, having to navigate or make one guy miss or, you know, move, move away from this push. But, man, in the NFL, that coppage, the, the pocket just – it engulfs you very quick. And I think that's the biggest learning cur- curve. So you, you have to think normally – you go through an off-season program, April, May, June, um, three months of learning the offense, working out with your teammates, building that camaraderie, so your confidence builds. And then you have a rookie OTAs and then a veteran mini camp. Um, so there's a lot of football on the field. So then when you get to training camp, this is like the second, third, fourth time you're learning this offense 
again, and then you're going to put it to use on the football field. So it's going to be the first time for Joe Burrow, Tua, Herbert, uh, Jordan Love, when they actually get on the field, it's probably going to be training camp. And that's a big difference uh, going into the season, especially if you're expecting uh, Joe Burrow to start some games early on. How would you power rank? So throw that out the window. I guess it's kind of semi-related, but like in terms of just watching those four quarterbacks, those four first rounders in terms of NFL readiness, how, how the things they do will translate to the league right away. How would you sort of power rank those four in terms of how steep you would expect their learning curve to be, you know, in 2020? I mean, I, I definitely think Burrow and Tua are the top of the list. I mean, those two, from a physical standpoint, can get it done. Uh, Joe Burrow has the ry- rhythm, the footwork, the timing. He under you could tell he understands it. So it's going to fit in pretty well with Zach Taylor's offense. Um, you know, Burrow doesn't have the biggest arm, so at times, you know, with a lack of arm strength. You, you really have to anticipate and you have to be on that footwork and timing. So as a young rookie, I want to see how long it takes for him to progress that way. Tua is very instinctual. Um, he has a great base about him. He is very twitchy. He could get that ball out of his hands fast. He's always in a good kind of stance in, in, in a strong kind of uh, balanced stance about him. So uh, for Tua and Burrow, I think they'll come on pretty quick. Uh, learning the offense and, and at least being able to execute. You know, Justin Herbert's a big physical guy. Uh, I think he's going to take some time, and I think him and Jordan Love are in good situations that, you know, uh, Herbert can sit behind Tyrod Taylor. I don't think he's going to get forced into action. And Jordan Love, the same even more so, can just sit, sit behind Aaron Rodgers and learn. I mean, I think Love uh, is a very natural passer very natural arm strength in release and footwork um so i you know i put love above herbert in as far as that aspect but you know it's gonna be tough just overall but i think tua and burrow definitely have the physical uh, skills um and the thing with tua he's very instinctual uh him and burrow so i I think they'll be able to make plays uh pretty early on Knowing that, you know, with Joe Burrow, you've been in the Bengals organization. He's entering a unique situation with COVID-19. What advice would you give Joe Burrow knowing what he's going into this rookie year? This this offensive line isn't great. Defense is still very young and improving. The coaching staff is very young with Zach Taylor at the helm. What advice would you give Joe Burrow to take on for this 2020 season? Uh, I would tell him first it's going to be a process. You know, don't think you're going to conquer the world in a day or learn the offense in a day or win a Super Bowl in a day. Take it one step at a time. Really zero in on what you can control and lead by example early on. And also I tell him, look, man, it doesn't matter if you're a rookie, if you're a 10-year veteran, you are the quarterback. So take that huddle as if you're the man. Because no matter the age of guys in the huddle with you, when I was a rookie and I was in the huddle with Mike Allstott, Joey Galloway, uh, you know, those guys still looked up to you even though you're a rookie because you're the quarterback. You're calling the plays. You know the offense. You understand what to do. So I think, if you know, if I'm, if I'm giving any, you know, especially Joe Burrow who's going to play early on, is look, man, take that huddle like you own that because it is yours and lead with that kind of confidence. And he seems to have that swag about him. And that's a big thing, man, because that's where you're a temperature changer in the locker room. That's where guys will gravitate towards you and you'll raise the level of play around you. And I think Joe Burrow brings that. Um, but also, like I said, 
Don't try to conquer it in a day. You know, realize it's a process. Take it one step at a time. And, and you know, sometimes as young players, we try to do more than what the offense asks us to. So just just operate the offense. That's all you have to do. You don't always have to make the 50-yard bomb throw. You know, sometimes the best play is a check down. Sometimes the best play is a throwaway. And then you punt to make it to another series. You know, so those are things young quarterbacks are going to have to learn um, and get used to in the NFL. Like, punting isn't a bad thing. Um, and, and, you know, let your defense take the field. These are all things that, as a young quarterback, not to force the ball and let the offense come to you. And is there any else? So we harped on those top four in the first round, but is there anyone who maybe it was the situation they fell to or just the talent that you liked or saw in the pre-draft process that you thought, hey, where he went, this guy's a real shot of maybe starting as a rookie, maybe not even starting just as a rookie or having long-term success with that franchise? Well, I, I always like uh, um, Jalen Hurts coming out. I mean, we talked about it. Like, I was a fan of Hurts because of, because of his background. I love seeing guys that have handled adversity, have been through different situations. He's always handled himself like a pro. He's a great locker room guy. He has and brings athleticism to an offense, and, and it's different. Um, guys give him a knock that he's an, not an anticipatory thrower, which he's not. He's a see-it-throw type guy. But from the combine, uh, from the senior bowl to the combine to his pro day, you saw him continue to get better each and every step of the way. So for the Eagles to take him, I thought that was cool. And then I'll tell you what, Jake Fromm with the Bills, because he's a guy that will execute your offense. He might not have the biggest arm and not look the part like a Justin Herbert, but I'm telling you, a guy that's going to operate your offense, he's going to be accurate, and he's different than Josh Allen. I'm telling you what, he could probably off, you know, operate that offense – better in a sense of what coaches are asking you to do. Now, he doesn't have the big play potential like Josh Allen brings with his legs and his big arm. Uh, but I, I, I like that move uh, forward from because it's a good situation. Sits behind Josh Allen and can help Allen grow in that role as well. So uh, I'm a fan of Fromm and what he brings to a team as well. Uh, let's take a step back a little bit and, and talk about quarterback evaluation. I know your role at PFF, you hard in grading every single throw at the college and NFL level. So let's talk about quarterback quarterback evaluation. You know, when you're evaluating a quarterback from the college to the pros, what are you looking for as key traits or key things in the tape or even in the interview process that you feel are very, very important to translating to success at the quarterback position in the NFL? Well, I'll tell you what, Austin, grading all those throws, especially in the NFL, uh, from Sunday night to Monday morning, Uh, When I get done, like, Monday afternoon, I'm like, what did I just see? You know, you're (laughs) so many throws at once uh, and just flying through them and trying to see so much. So it's really cool uh, to be able to watch everyone, you know, and especially the college guys. And and I think as I watch guys play, you know, I'm always interested in their eyes. Like, what are they seeing? What are they looking at? Uh, And and if they look confused or if they're playing decisive, and I like to see where their eyes are starting, what they're looking at, how they're reading, and then their footwork, does their footwork tie in with that Um, in decision-making? You know, sometimes I'll I'll look at guys' interceptions or their turnover-worthy plays, and I want to see if um, they're making boneheaded-type decisions because, you know, those things are going to happen. Interceptions are going to happen. Fumbles in the pocket, it's inevitable. But – Uh, Are they kind of forcing the issue and throwing across their body as they're scrambling right and just careless with the ball? I like to see those things. 
Um, and then the biggest thing I like to see, though, is the guy's grit. You know, I mean, I, I like to see, and I could tell if he, you know, can stand in there, make the big play from the pocket. And I know, you know, you know, us, you know, in the media and, you know, just the sexy look is making a, a great throw, get hit, you know, in the chin. That's great. But also I want to see these guys operate with a clean pocket, you know, because if you're not hitting these throws in a clean pocket, then I can't really see you making these throws when pressure's in your face. So that's a key thing I look at as well. But I'll tell you, from a quarterback position, I always look at the mentality of a guy. You know, does he have athleticism, but he's got to be mentally tough, you know, and those are some things I pick up as well. And it's hard not meeting the guys, uh, but that's things I enjoy and want in a quarterback. Has starting with PFF changed maybe any of the way you see the quarterback position? No, that's, that's a good question, Mike, because I think it is about, you know, initially, you know, it's it's that sexy pass that the guy's getting hit upside, you know, the chin that you want to be like, man, he's tough. Oh, man, what a throw. But, but then, you know, because I, I was that guy. But then when mm-hmm. the pocket was clean, was I making the necessary throw downfield? Was I being accurate? And I like to see that because when things are clean around you and the coach does call the right play and the receiver is open, you got to nail those. And so I think, you know, working for, you know, PFF here, uh, I've really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed the, the access of – how I mean, guys, you know our guys, they put in a ton of work and time. And that's what I've been impressed with is we we got a we got legit coaching staff that I grind the tape each and every week, each and every burn an hour of the season, college and NFL. So it's legit when our grades come in. So that's what I've been impressed the past year of man, these dudes know what they're talking about. These meetings in the offseason that we have every week, every day, how to continue to make our grading better um, and just more stable and everything like that continue to get better. It's amazing because our guys know a lot of good football and we're not, it's it's not like we're, you know, nitpicking, oh, because we like this guy better than that guy. It's it's real life watching the tape and grading that way. And and you got guys, you know, if, I, if I'm curious about a throw and I'm kind of unsure – there's like 10 or 15 guys you're, that you're throwing it to to get their opinion as well. So I've been very impressed with how the grading system is at PFF. And, and I think it's really cool how we do it because there's a lot of guys that know their stuff and that really grind away at the tape each and every week. That's good to hear, man. I mean, I think that's that's, fe- that's positive feedback coming from, you know, a former NFL player that best play was getting hit in the chin, thrown downfield, but seeing how valuable the consistency from the clean pocket is and how stable that is, I think, can change your opinion. Let's jump to the 2021 class, looking at this quarterback class, because you got two massive names, guys that are going to be talked about for the number one overall pick in 2021 from here until next April, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor, I know Mike's all in on Trevor. Justin Fields may be creeping up a bit. Compare those two quarterbacks for me and who you like most. Well, man, I'm excited to dive into these guys even more, and I've started to. And I'll tell you what, Mike, I was I was just like you. Like, to Trevor Lawrence, he's a sexy pick, man. He looks the part, great release and delivery and athletic. But I'll tell you what, man, there's some things I'm concerned about. You know, he he has to start making better decisions. I was watching his Louisville game today, and, you know, that's just not going to fly. You can't be late throwing the ball down the middle and expect to make a play and just heaving it up uh, at the end of the end of a half when you're in field goal range. And 
there's things like that. He's got to get better and he's got to show more consistency uh, in this next football season. And I wasn't, I, I was unsure about Justin Fields. I was, you know, curious, Oh man, why do we have him ranked so high? Let's take a look. And I was watching him. I'll tell you what, just a few plays that I watched his timing of rhythm. He knew how to throw the ball that way. He was making smart decisions. I even put in uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields with some of the combine QBs and draft QBs of this year of 2020. And Justin Fields is right behind Burrow in some categories with, you know, his overall grade of 92.4 and stuff. And um, it's impressive. And the other stat that I looked at for these 2020 quarterbacks in the draft was uh, their uncatchable, inaccurate throws. And, you know, it's probably a lot of the balls I threw, right, where receivers didn't even have a chance. Um, but And I did, you know, I did it, the filter, and it's a clean pocket, so there's no one around the quarterback. It's a 10- to 19-yard throw, so it's like an NFL throw. It's not just a screen. Um, and so it's a clean pocket, it's downfield. And, you know, when I looked at it, and that's where Jalen Hurts impressed me because he had the least amount, same with Joe Burrow, the least amount of inaccurate throws. Well, Justin Fields is right up there with Burrow, and that's impressive. And Trevor Lawrence is actually down a little bit. He's at like 25% of uncatchable, inaccurate throws in a clean pocket. So that's something I want to dive into some more. Uh, I think it's still early, especially especially for me, in my opinion, is I want to look at these guys a lot more before I really – say who I would take. But, you know, just from the outside looking in initially, man, I love watching Trevor Lawrence. I think he's got a great arm. He's fun to watch, but he's got to make better decisions. And I think Justin Fields, man, he's tough. Uh, He's athletic, can run the football. And also I was impressed with some of his rhythmic throws today, throwing a a speed out to the field and perfect rhythm, timing, accurate football. And and that impressed me. When I see a guy that understands a footwork and timing to make that throw – I'm kind of like, I need to look at this guy a little bit more. So Justin Fields sparked my attention today. So there's kind of, I think, three like anchors in terms of when people talk about best quarterback since X. You have John Elway back in the 80s. You got Peyton Manning, late 90s. And then you have Andrew Luck. It seems like those three, it's either best quarterback since X. And Trevor Lawrence is getting some some best quarterback since Luck pro, uh, as prospect hype, even some best quarterback since Manning. Do you... Can you buy into that? Can you see that being the case come 2021? I mean, I can because of his physical tools and abilities. I mean, the guy is unbelievable to watch. He can sling it all over the field. He's a big physical-looking uh, dude that's athletic. And you're going to love him when you watch him. But like I said, too, it's, it's the decision-making. I want to continue to see it get better. Uh, he's fun to watch. Um, you know, it's crazy, man. To put him in that category – I just need to see more. And I think he really has to have a better season this year. I know last year he started off a little, you know, trying to do too much. And I think that comes back to these quarterbacks feeling like if they're going to be a first-round pick or the number one overall pick, they have to make the amazing throw, their amazing play. No, you just have to execute your offense. Those big plays will come, especially for a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Those big plays will happen for him because of the ability he has. So I'm excited to watch him this year. I think he's a special talent. Uh, But we'll see if we put him in the category with John Elway, uh, you know, as I dive into him a little bit more. Hear me out on this, Bruce. So you talk about Jalen Hurts and the adversity he went through and why that impresses you, why he was able to go through different systems and all those things, you know, played like a pro. Trevor Lawrence, by no fault of his own, 
has gone through zero adversity. This guy was like the number one overall recruit since he was a freshman. He lost one football game in high school. He's lost one football game in college football. And, like, you saw some adversity in the second half of that LSU game when you saw some bad decision-making, whatever it may be. Does that lack of adversity kind of scare you a bit? I think it scares me. Like, Trevor Lawrence has not had his back against the wall more than a handful of minutes in his life, let alone you look at guys like Jalen Hurts and other quarterbacks in this class that have not been such high-coveted recruits, have lost more football games have had worse supporting casts where do you put not having a ton of adversity in the books here well and i'm sure he doesn't struggle to get a date either i mean yeah true (laughs) with that beautiful long hair mike you know i'm I'm jealous of you guys man i wish i could just you know comb it back and look the part but uh no that's a big part austin i really think uh playing the quarterback position it's inevitable you're going to face ups and downs whether it's through the course of the season, through the course of, of a game, through the course of a quarter, a series, you're going to face ups and downs. And that's what quarterbacks you know, in, or coaches look at is how you handle those times. Um, so I do. I want to see a guy face some adversity. And I think you know, for Trevor Lawrence, for me, it was him starting off pretty poor last season that you know, I think it's a big year for him that he has to step up and make better decisions. You know, he – you know, you can't take it for granted the, the, the talent uh, that Sweeney, you know, recruits and that he has around him. Uh, so you can't play careless with the football. So I want to see some better decision-making this year. Um, the adversity part, look, the guy's a winner. You can already tell he has that mox, moxie about him. He's got swag, and that's what I love. Uh, so, man, he's like sunshine, right, from Remember the Titans. So uh, I, I think he's got yeah. it all. But that's, that's a very valid point of facing some adversity. And, you know, how will that translate to the next level? Because in the NFL, man, they're coming to take your head off, and everyone has a good football team. Everyone has good players, uh, I should say. Uh, and so you got to come to play week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, I hate to, part of me kind of hates to even bring it up because, I mean, it's not his fault that he's one of the best players right. at the collegiate level we've ever seen. But I, I do think it would be nice to have a sample size of a game or two to see him face some adversity, to see him play when, you know, not all of the cards are fully in his favor, those types of things. Anyway, Bruce, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This was fantastic. We'll have to get you back on either in season, in the middle of your grading bonanza, like Sunday night or whatever it may be, or later in the week or something because you were great. I really appreciate your time. Bruce. No, for sure. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.